it's not sustainable yeah. for songwriters and independent musicians, which is why they need to join Sona. Mm. They need to join Music Artist Coalition, Mac, or they need mm. to join Black Music Action Coalition. They have to join it because we're- Is funded. this a membership-based, are there dues? Like how, how is it funded? It's we're dues based and it's okay. very inexpensive. I think it's like 50 bucks a year to join okay. Sony. Yep. And, you know, we are all pro bono. So there's a mm. board of like 14 of us on the board is lawyers. We have a policy person, Lauren Hancock. She's a policy lawyer cool. in D.C. who's amazing, who's on our board, who does great mm. work. You know, we have all kinds of great people on the board and mm -hmm. a lot of songwriters that are very savvy on this stuff now because it's been several years of them doing yeah. this, but all of them are free, pro bono. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. And happy Black History Month. I want to encourage you to take some time to learn some history you may not have learned growing up. As we know, most history taught in public schools in America is white history, or rather history through a white lens, and much of the black story has been left out, so February is the month where we should actively learn some history we may not be familiar with. Specifically in music, let's take some time to learn about the contributions that the black community has made to our industry. Of course, these contributions are immeasurable. But start somewhere. Uh, one fun tidbit I learned early on in a classic case of white pop artists steal from black musicians. Look up the story of the Beach Boys, Surfing USA, and Chuck Berry. I'll leave it there. Now, my guest today, Dina LaPolte, is a music rights activist and modern-day civil rights activist in our music community. She's on the executive leadership committee for the Black Music Action Coalition, the organization that popped up this past June, July, following the George Floyd protests. And she's also a member of the Black Women Entertainment Lawyers. Definitely check out those organizations and do what you can to help contribute to the growth of these organizations as well as others that are important to our industry and the black community. Dina, she is one of the most well-respected, well-known music attorneys in the world right now. Honestly, the amount of awards she has, it is unfathomable. Uh, Hollywood Reporter, Billboard's Power 100, Variety, Midham, Recording Academy, Grammys. Everyone in the music industry knows who Dina LaPolte is at the top industry level. She's also been the attorney for Tupac's estate, for Dead Mouse, 21 Savage, Britney Spears, Steven Tyler. She co-founded Songwriters of North America, SONA. Uh, they're an advocacy organization representing songwriters. And she was instrumental in getting the Music Modernization Act passed in 2018 which has done wonders for independent, well, for songwriters across the board um, and artists. 
And this was the first major update to copyright law in decades. And she had a uh, she was instrumental and she was the one who pushed it through. She regularly uh, advocates for artists and musicians and songwriters on Capitol Hill. So this conversation was fiery. We got into it. I uh, told the, the challenges that independent artists and songwriters are dealing with and how we rarely get a seat at the table and when you're drafting new laws why we need a seat at the table we got into that uh, she also talked about more recently what she did with the cares act and how she made sure that musicians and songwriters were included in the cares act the heroes act and uh, making sure that that mixed earners stipulation was added in the follow-up bill and what she's working on right now with the current administration the new administration for the update to the stimulus package to make sure that musicians and songwriters don't get left behind Dina is an absolute rock star on the business side uh, overall, and it, it is just it was such a pleasure and honor to have her on the show. I know you're going to love this conversation. We got into it. She does not hold back, and I fucking loved it. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> don't go anywhere and make sure you listen to the very end. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ari Herstand. You can find all of us and everyone who puts the show together at Ari's Take on Twitter, Instagram, and now we are on TikTok. So check out out Ari's Take on TikTok. Visit ariestake.com. Get on that email list. That is the most important resource you can be a part of. So go to ariestake.com. Just sign up on that email list. All right, let's kick into the show. Dina Lapolt, welcome to the show. Hey, Ari. I'm so happy that you invited me on. This is so great. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Uh, you first came on my radar uh, with the Music Modernization Act and all that was going on in 2018. And I started really focusing on that and studying it and doing whatever I could to kind of help get that through. Um, and then it's just your name seems to always come up everywhere in Variety or Billboard or The Hollywood Reporter. And you have so many awards, I can't even go through all of them. So <laughs> I want to just start um with what you're working on these days, uh, specifically, um, let's start with the CARES Act and and how you helped um, with songwriters and musicians uh, kind of with their efforts to uh, get this law passed or at least get the consideration of the unique position that the music community is in when it come when it came to the support needed from uh, the CARES Act and the stimulus and all of that and what's going on with that now? Yeah, that's a good question. And by the way, thanks for all your help on the Music Modernization Act, which got you into AB, you know, five to get that repealed or overturned. Yes. And you're yes. an activist at heart. I know you. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I see your heart. Anyway, um, so the CARES Act is interesting because, you know, we were working, getting geared up to work on DMCA review with the, the Senate subcommittee on intellectual property. Right. And in March, the second, actually March 20th, I think it was, Congressman Ted Deutsch called Bart Herbison on a Sunday night at 10 a.m., 10 mm -hmm. p.m., which is, you know, crazy because... There was, what was it, if that's a call that comes in? And, and Ted Deutsch, who was on the committee, one of the committees, and got a draft of the CARES Act and realized that it, it probably would not cover songwriters and calls Bart Herbison, who is the executive director of the NSAI, mm -hmm. down in Nashville, the largest songwriter ad 
advocacy group in America and calls them and says, this is not going to, I don't think it's going to protect songwriters. So Barr calls us, Michelle Lewis and I at, at mm -hmm. Sona, and not only did it not protect songwriters, it, do, it wouldn't have protected any independent contractors, any sole proprietors. I mean, anybody, producers, artists, songwriters, uh, mm -hmm. beauty technicians, personal trainers. I mean, you know, America sure. tells you land of the free, home of the right. brave, become something, be your own person. Yes. But all of these people that were their own people were not covered by the pandemic unemployment insistence. So mm -hmm. we worked day and night, day and night. We got Mac involved, the Music Artists Coalition, which, you know, Susan Janko and Jordan Bromley are very involved in that. Mm -hmm. And through Sona, led by Jack Kugel at Sona, one of our board members, and the NSAI, we got the sole proprietors, independent contractors put into the CARES Act. So then everybody that was self-employed was eligible for unemployment insurance, which was amazing. The one thing, hold on, that we didn't realize is mm -hmm. that when we were advocating for the bill, that mixed earners yes. would be kicked out. Right. And as you know, Ari, a mixed earner is someone who gets W-2 income. So mm -hmm. if you're a songwriter or a producer, you do one session at, say, Disney, uh, they issue you a W-2, and it could only be, you know, for a couple grand or whatever, and you're kicked right. out. Mm -hmm. So we worked really hard to get mixed earners into the HEROES Act. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, but Right, yeah. because that was... Um, when the initial CARES Act was passed and the independent contractors got covered under that pandemic unemployment assistance, the PUA, uh, that was great. But then everybody realized very quickly that when they were applying for it and they did have that one W-2, they may, they may have made $2,000 from a W-2 employment and then $50,000 from 1099 independent contracting work but they couldn't take that into consideration. So they all, they had to take that $2,000 and say, that was my complete income from 2019, which was absurd. And that's that's where everybody was falling into it. So the, the Heroes Act and the mixed earners, I remember that was, I mean, just a few months after that, but fortunately that was really nice to see that that got passed as well. Yeah, yeah, that was a big, again, you know, uh, an effort by all the music trade organizations. I mean, when right. we first got the, the the Heroes Act, I mean, the CARES Act stuff put in there with independent contractors, mm -hmm. we create like the RIAA was involved in this, mm -hmm. SAG-AFTRA was very involved in this. It was amazing. And we created mm -hmm. this website so everybody could understand how to apply for these benefits. And, um, you know, it, it was an incredible effort. And it derailed us from copyright. I mean, literally, right. which was really kind of cool, to be honest, because these life missions are just mm -hmm. so gratifying to be involved with. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, in the organization that I uh, co-founded, Independent Music Professionals United, which worked exclusively on just the AB5 issue in California, um, getting the music industry exempt as much as we could through that. And so, yes, uh, all the work that I kind of did I, I, it kind of pulled the curtain uh, back for all of these issues. And then I started getting, in, uh, I guess, invited to with the organization to sign on. So we signed all those letters that went to Congress and all of that. And I started learning more about it. Now, um, so when it comes to copyright and the, the DMCA, uh, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, um, that was, so 
what was happening with that? Because I did get invited to one of the meetings that the RIAA and A2IM and everybody else was, and Sona and everyone was kind of, there was a big call that I was on like months and months. I think it, more or less at the start of the pandemic saying, okay, we're going to, uh, Don Henley's going to testify in Congress <laughs> and try to like get this thing finally. So, yeah. uh, so, okay, it got put on the back burner, which makes sense. But uh, if you can just kind of break it down a little bit, because um, just to give a little background on where I'm coming from as an independent musician, independent songwriter, also looking out for the tens of thousands of independent musicians out there, um, I feel sometimes that where the RIAA, uh, the organization that represents the major labels, um, and even the NMPA, the organization that represents uh, mo- all, most of the publishers out there, uh, may may not necessarily always have the independent musician's best interests uh, at heart because they don't represent the independent artist. So I oftentimes find myself in a debate with the industry at large because uh, they're looking out for their members, which are the labels and the publishers. And I'm like, yo, in the, like who makes up the industry are the actual musicians and songwriters. And we're, because the industry is so indie driven right now, uh, I feel like sometimes our, um, our voices get a little bit lost in the in the noise. So if you could break down what where the DMCA yeah. is at right now, I believe the last time it was updated was not like 1998 or something like that. And then like what's happening since? It was signed into law in 1998 by Bill Clinton. But yeah. first of all, I'm going to tell you now you're going to get in it because I, I, I'm i going to pull you into this, Ari. Okay. <laughs> get ready because we need your voice. I'm going to tell you what you said is 100% correct, Okay. It's always the independent artists that get left behind. And there is an advocacy organization that represents the independent labels called the A2IM, run by my very good friend, Rich Burgess. But unfortunately, they don't have enough funding to be at the table a lot of the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I like, and so they need all the help they can get. And, you know, sometimes these big trade organizations take off running. And I'm going to tell you, they always have their own agenda. Okay, they always have their own agenda. And by the time we realize what's going on, sometimes the train has left the station. And ironically, with the Music Modernization Act, it was literally the NSAI and the NMPA and SONA that drafted with Congressman Collins the guts of the bill. Mm -hmm. And so we were SONA with one of the third stakeholders out of seven that really got the MMA done. The seventh stakeholder was the RIAA. Like, you're going to love this story. We did all of this. And then I was the one that had to go sit with (laughs) Kerry Sherman and tell him what we've done. And he's like, well, we got a lot of notes. And I'm like, no, it's like, we're done. done." You know, so it was really, I'm telling you, it's probably one of the most gratifying parts of my career. Yes. But to answer your question on DMCA, Here's where it is, right? So, so there's the Senate IP subcommittee, which is was chaired by by Senator Tom Tillis, Republican, mm-hmm. but now the Senate's flipped, okay, and it's mm-hmm. going to be Chris Coons, who's a senator out of Delaware, amazing. Mm-hmm. But what it is is on this, uh, they were working on it under Chairman Tom Tillis at the time, and we all weighed in. Jacqueline Charlesworth, who represents Sona. She's been leading the charge for Sona on our behalf. But 
they put out a discussion draft of the bill on December 20th. Some of it we do not like. Okay, I'm going to tell you that right now. Some of it we do not like. And we, as in you representing Sona, does not like, or who's we? Songwriters, independent artists. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, One of the things they want to do in in the discussion draft was move the Copyright Office out of the Library of Congress, which I agree with, But they want to put it in the Commerce Department, which I don't agree with. Talk about (laughs) leaving the independent artist behind. Oh, my God. (laughs) The Commerce is all about what it sounds like. Commerce Mm -hmm. making money, you know, using, you know, using it, you know, and, you know, for commercial value. That's Mm -hmm. what it's all about. For trademarks, it's fine to be in the Commerce Department. But for copyright, copyright is not necessarily... Uh, used in commercial transactions, although we do do that, it's your mm-hmm. prerogative as a copyright owner whether or not you want to exchange your copyrights or license your copyrights for commercial purposes. It's completely within your control, and that's and, the exact opposite of what the commerce department okay. is set up to do. I mean, commerce mm-hmm. is all about commercial value all the time using it. And so it doesn't go in commerce, Mm -hmm. but it does deserve to be pulled out of the Library of Congress because that's also a comfuckery, if I can say that word. (laughs) Yeah, he can say that. It's a complete conflict of interest. I mean, library, think of what a library. Libraries are about making things accessible. Please use it. Please make it accessible. That is fundamentally not good with copyright. Because Mm -hmm. the copyright owner should be able to say, I don't want my copyrights accessible. That's completely within your control. So they have this fundamental difference in, like, I would say, moral compass, if you want to talk Mm -hmm. about that. But I do believe the Copyright Office needs to come out of the Library of Congress, but it it needs to be its own separate body, having a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. It should be appointed by the president, just like every other position like that so there should be somebody appointed by the president it should not be like the supreme court where it's like you sit there forever and ever and ever mm-hmm. you know and it should have a seat they should have a seat at the table with respect to policy because guess what the copyright office does not have a seat at the table when we are doing policy do you mm. believe that like they they're not they're a right. rulemaking organization that's over here and they're not, they don't have a seat at the table. Unlike the Patent and Trademark Office has a seat at the table, reports to the president, not the Copyright Office. So this needs to change. And would this be all copyrights? Or are we specifically just talking about uh, when it comes to sound recordings, work of performing arts? All copyrights. All copyrights. Right now, okay. the Copyright Office has a register of copyrights, which currently is Shira Perlmutter. Okay. And, uh, you know, they're very, they're very, they're experts. So Mm -hmm. they need to have a seat at the table. When we're working on copyright bills, they're not involved in any of this. Mm. Um, Unlike the the Patent and Trademark Office, which, as you know, the Lanham Act governs trademarks specifically. Mm -hmm. And that office is very, it reports directly to the administrative arm. And we need to do the same. Okay, so let's say the uh, Copyright Office does get a seat at the table. It's separated from the Library of Congress. It's not thrown into the Commerce Department. Uh, They're at the seat of the table. Now what's next? What's the ask where we're at right now? Well, now if that happens, okay, then they are 
considered the, the experts in copyright in the country so they could actually weigh in on things. I mean, if you recall, I, I believe it was 2014 or 15, the Copyright Office released its 1,100-page study on music licensing, which was right. incredible feat. And that was written by Jacqueline Charles. At the mm -hmm. time, she was the general counsel of the United States Copyright Office. And this is where they made years, right? right, and they made recommendations. Right, but it go. Where does it go? Like right, it, right, it right. go. Like we all took it and we said this mm -hmm. is amazing. And honestly, yes. that was really the blueprint for us sketching out what was to become the Music Modernization Act. It was because mm -hmm. of the music licensing report. Mm -hmm. However. You know, it would have been really fabulous if the Copyright Office had some authority to weigh in, you know, on what was happening in the policy realm, because they're not. They don't have mm. a stake in that. But the mm. big but one of the other issues that I wanted to raise that's in the discussion graph, which is a good thing, mm -hmm. is, you know, we have the safe harbor provision in the DMCA, which is terrible for independent what does that artists. Mean? OK, this what is does the that thing. Safe Harbor Section 512 in the DMCA just says these big OSPs, which is online service providers like YouTube, right? Roblox, mm -hmm. who's claiming they're an OSP, which they're really not, in my opinion. But they go, oh, we're not responsible for anything on our service. Oh, we can't pull, you know, so you can send. Because it's user generated content. So, yeah. Right. And they and they mm -hmm. they abuse that. So, for example, like like mm -hmm. you, for example, something is up on YouTube and it's infringing your copyrights and you know it, you pull it down. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day it's up again. Yeah. So it's like whack-a-mole. You could sell you could send all these cease and desist letters set, pulling down the same crap, mm -hmm. you know, because there's no accountability for these online service providers to actually keep this shit down. So part of the discussion draft mm -hmm. that we, that Tom Tillis put out for us to look at is what they would have to do to have a little bit more accountability. It would be an additional requirement of online service providers in order to comply with some, a better way of keeping copy, you know, infringing material off the so, online service. Totally. And, and I, I get that. And, and I'm on board for part of it. Um, and, and here, here's where the issue comes into play because I fully am behind the, the, the rights owners should, should, um, have a say in where their copyrights are used. And I, uh, you know, just to give some background to listeners, uh, YouTube, Facebook, all the other uh, services, when you have user-generated content, how it acts right now by law through the DMCA is that the rights owner can issue a takedown notice and the, um, the platform, they have to uh, execute that notice and take it down and then issue whoever uploaded it uh, a copyright strike. And then the user gets, I believe, three copyright strikes and then they have to be banned from the platform. And this is like how the law is written. So, okay, that's how it works now. And whack-a-mole is a perfect way to describe it, like you just said, because you can imagine with millions of users uploading all of these user-generated videos and whatever it is that it's almost impossible to police that. YouTube has created Content ID, which can kind of sonically track, you know, through sonic recognition um, um, technology, they can track that stuff. But new platforms are coming up every day, and we'll get into Twitch in a second, um, which is, you know, when it comes to live, that's a totally other bag. But here's where I take issue, and this is the challenge, is that uh, a few years ago, 
uh, when Facebook, uh, before they had kind of worked this out with the publishers, um, their UMPG, so Universal Music Publishing Group, they were, uh, there's this guy there who was basically issuing tons of takedown notices for independent artists who were putting up cover songs. So now what okay. Facebook did was, uh, was like, all right, we got to we gotta follow the DMCA takedown notices and we're going to take these cover songs down. Then we're going to send a threatening message to these independent artists saying, you do this again, you're going to be booted from our platform. Meanwhile, independent artists are like, wait a minute, I can't put up cover videos. This is like, why not? And then, so now, now the independent artist is caught here is like, okay, if I get booted and and sometimes these came down as in like, I put up, not me, but someone puts up 30 cover videos and Facebook uh, then months later was like, nope, one, two, three, you're out. And they're like, whoa, wait, wait, I didn't even know. And, well, and a lot of them a were different making- issue. Okay. So let me tell you that that's a different issue. That's because fucking Facebook wasn't licensed by the publishers. Now they have worldwide licenses. So now you can do that. But that's the point is that they weren't getting licenses. So here's the challenge, though. And I, I, I fully agree they weren't getting licenses and that's a problem. However, the license that they got, which is, is, is upsetting to the independent songwriters and the independent artists out there, is Facebook was like, here's a shit ton of money, publisher, major publishers, major record labels, go the fuck away, please. Yeah. And they're like, okay, cool, we'll, we'll pocket the money. Meanwhile... I haven't talked to a single songwriter or artist who has seen a dime from that deal. Yeah, and so well, I don't. Listen. I mean, yeah. you, listen, you, this is a big issue for me. Okay. Yes. Songwriters and music publishers are regulated. I fucking hate it. Unlike yeah. labels that can negotiate a free market for the sound recording copyright for the musical composition copyright. So for songwriters, they're all regulated by compulsory licenses, right. by outdated portions of the consent decree that govern ASCAP and BMI. It is terrible. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, they are more regulated than pharmaceutical companies in America. <laughs> That's how pathetic yeah. this is. Yeah. So, you know, I don't disagree with what you're saying, okay? Mm -hmm. There's two issues here, Ari. There's one that when you're when all these independent musicians were being pulled down for putting cover songs up on Facebook, it's because they weren't licensed at all, mm -hmm. okay? Then they got licensed, but the licenses are still crappy because yes. they're not negotiated in a free market. They are all regulated. So, you know, mm -hmm. and you had to have a little bit of back and forth, but listen, the whole, it's not perfect, but mm -hmm. what's really important now is that you, the biggest issue and those issues that you're talking about are big issues, but one of the, the, the umbrella issue I should yes. say is these technology companies that continually take advantage. That's, the issue. I'm all for moving technology forward. Mm -hmm. But when people claim safe harbor, safe harbor, safe harbor, I don't have to pay and I'm not responsible. They're full of shit. Let me give you Roblox. Roblox, right? It's like Minecraft for like, you know, five-year-olds or six-year-olds, okay? They have thousands of copyrighted songs on Roblox, okay? And Roblox is saying, oh, we don't have to get licenses. It's safe harbor. We have safe harbor. It's like, excuse me, you have these kids that are able to click on songs and move them into other realms mm. like they're interacting with the mm. surface it's a game yeah. okay i can understand like so, like youtube saying safe harbor right they're actually not up in there moving content around they're like right. letting it put up even though they do need some we do need some reform there because once we pull stuff down it needs to stay down Sure. But that's one issue but some of these okay. services that just literally claim safe harbor that have no so 
safe harbor is bad, and I and I agree, and I, I think that that is a completely reform. outdated system. Yes, it needs reform. What is the solution here? Uh, that because yes, tech companies just like major labels, and just like everyone's looking out for their own interests. And so, if the law isn't going to step in and say you have to do this, they're just not going to do it out of the goodness of their heart. So, what is the ask here from the music industry uh, with the uh, copyright office? And if we eventually get to that point where you know we're testifying, what is the ask here? What are the asks just get licensed if you start a a company okay Okay. roblox is a perfect example where you're using music Mm -hmm. we have this this situation now since all of napster what we've been through with spotify and amazon Mm -hmm. people don't automatically just sue okay we don't do that anymore we used to do that and it Mm -hmm. backfired on us like with napster so what the music community does is we go okay um, let's see how you, you're doing. Okay. Mm-hmm, so they start mm-hmm. you and they put, you know, everybody knows it's being used like, you know, you know, Twitch or like a uh, Triller. So, you know, it's being used and you kind of like wait and see, and then you send the trades organizations will send a letter and say, Hey, we represent these various organizations. Um, you know, let us know when you're ready to talk about licensing, you know, but we just sit back and let it happen because we have learned over the Mm. years. It's like, let these technologies get their footing because it ends up being great for music artists. Eventually, if they pay, if they pay. So I, 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 I agree. However, there are going to be people who say on the other side, uh, mostly from the tech community, uh, that, if we have to negotiate these licenses from the get-go, uh, that will that you're putting a price tag on of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, we can't get off the ground. We can't even start the company. Uh, we're not talking about the ones that are started by Google or anything like that. But like YouTube would have never gotten off the ground when it was independent, or Twitch would have never gotten off the ground if it was independent, or any of these companies. Yeah, but you could do these deals. Like the labels do a deal where they get piece of the equity. Like and publishers are starting to do that. Look, Triller, we for a long time, publishers, there was a lot of like regulation that we didn't know publishers and can do that. But yeah, but seriously, like now it's like, yeah, let's do it some equity deal or something. If you can't afford the license fees, let's figure out a piece of the pie mm-hmm. or a percentage of your gross revenue. So it's not like pay us all this money and use the music. Okay. There's so many different, yep. sorry, there are so many different opportunities and, and hybrids for payment, yes. okay, that we've tried. But let me tell you, like, we literally get turned, like, people like Roblox will turn to us and say, no, we're safe harbor, we don't have to pay, and we have no money. And then, or like Triller, we have no money. And then you see they're valued at a billion dollars on Wall Street or what really pissed off the independent music community is where Roblox goes, we're safe harbor and we don't have to pay. And then they do a deal with Warner Music Group for 520 million fucking dollars. I mean, one of my clients is Deadmau5. There's 220 songs on, of his on Roblox. He owns Mm. the copyright and Mm -hmm. he owns the, the musical composition. He owns the sound recording copyright and the musical composition copyright. Mm. He's an independent artist and it's yes. really frustrating. Yes. It's really frustrating. So with with um uh, you know you you re- you mentioned potentially striking like an equity deal or something like that or a percentage of gross revenue or uh that now w- the history of that and where we've seen that happen before 
is with Spotify and Who's that, that? The, the the major labels um yeah. they got a what's been what's been rumored as around 25% collective equity or somewhere around there each of the three big majors got a, a good portion of equity now when Spotify went public and all the majors cashed out their million hundreds of millions of dollars independents saw nothing from that and so it was like that's where I don't want the train to be rolling down so quickly that with these things that we're going to do more of those kinds of deals where it's like, all right. This this is where, this is what I'm trying to say. This is why we need advocacy groups. This is why I co-founded Sona for the independent songwriter that gets left behind. I'm going to tell you something, and this is very important. Okay. Copyright is all federal law. Okay. So it is federal And all of these issues we're discussing all take effect in Washington. If you don't have a grasp of all that and you're not involved in that, you get left behind. This is why I say the A2IM, I wish it had more resources, Mm -hmm. that it could be at the table and lobby for independent labels. Okay, because but they don't have the resources and all these independent labels in the country, they should absolutely join the A2IM. Mm-hmm. You have to have a lobbyist to fight for you. You know who has the biggest lobbyist, the most money? Major labels, major publishers. You know, yes. thank God, Sona, we've been involved now for seven years and we made a name for ourselves, mostly mm-hmm. when we sued the Department of Justice. I talked mm-hmm. some lawyers into doing it pro bono and sued the Department of Justice because there was a mandate that the Department of Justice put down that would be terrible for songwriters, which mm. is that, you know, if you're ASCAP or BMI, like right. we get, just get to pick one that we're going to license to, and then they have to take care of the other songwriter. And that was terrible. And we sued the Department of Justice about that. But here's the biggest issue. If you don't get involved in policy, you yep. don't have a seat at the table. This is why music artists, Matt, Yep. was formed. This is why BMAC, Black Music Artists Coalition, was formed. Yes. So we can advocate together for the artists and the songwriters that get left behind. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder and yeah they're very innovative and when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is you better be innovative and they are yes they will get your music out to spotify apple music all the places plus 450 other outlets around the world they do not take a commission This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them they've already distributed 7 million songs they offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, This is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. 
They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used, and it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, They have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out 2Lost. You can just go to 2Lost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. And I, I uh, fully uh, experienced that uh, through the AB5 negotiations. And I like I literally fell into it because I wrote a fiery blog post that went crazy viral. And then I got meetings at all these uh, legislators' offices. And then I kind of became the leader of uh, the whole movement for the music industry in California to, to get us exempt. And... I, I didn't get paid anything for like the amount of time that I spent and my, the, the people that I was with uh, part of impu and part of this, this org that we were lobbying the legislators meeting regularly. Literally I helped draft the language with Jordan Bromley. Uh, like we're calling all the time. Like I don't write laws. I'm not a lawyer, but like, I, but I, I, but I can read and I'm listening. I'm like, wait a minute, this, this isn't going to be good for us. Like we should talk, you know? And like, that was crazy. And I totally got it. And I totally appreciated that I did have a seat at the table and that we did in this instance. And at the end, you know, Mitch Glazer, uh, the head of the RIAA, told me that because of of my efforts and my indie scrappy musicians efforts, yeah. like we, we got this done. But I'm like, this isn't really sustainable because we all have to run our own lives and we right. no one was getting paid for it. So welcome yeah, it was to tough. My life. Can but- I tell you, welcome <laughs> to my life. Ari, you know what? I'm glad I'm getting some damn awards because all I'm doing is free work. Okay. I mean, thank God I have my own law firm. So I don't have a bunch of partners that are up my ass about my billables. Like I follow my heart, which is, you know, what I've always done. And I have nine lawyers now that work here, but literally I spend so much time on pro bono work, either Mm -hmm. being involved in Sona being involved in BMAC because I'm on the executive leadership committee for the Black Music Action Coalition. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm involved. I was involved in repealing New York Law 50. I was really involved in that, which was a horrible law in New York, hiding the mm-hmm. disciplinary records of bad cops. So I was on a mission there, and right. I literally spent two months of my life like talking to New York State legislators, you know, about repealing this law, and it did get repealed. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, the CARES Act, being involved in that, and then the HEROES Act, now we're, we're, we're working really hard to get the White House to understand the mixed earners issue because they're right. going to drive the next COVID relief bill, and we got to make sure that we get in front of them and talk to them about mixed earners. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm doing this all day long, all day right. long, all day long, you know? And it's like, I wake up, and it's like, wow, it's already 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But look, it's not sustainable yeah. for songwriters and independent musicians which is why they need to join sona 
They need to join Music Artists Coalition, MAC, or they need mm. to join Black Music Action Coalition. They have to join it because we're- Is this a membership-based, are there dues? Like how, how is it funded? It's we're dues based and it's okay. very inexpensive. I think it's like 50 bucks a year to join. Okay. Sony. Yep. And, you know, we are all pro bono. So there's a mm. board of like 14 of us on the board is lawyers. We have a policy person, Lauren Hancock. She's a policy lawyer cool. in D.C. who's amazing, who's on our board, who does great mm. work. You know, we have all kinds of great people on the board and mm -hmm. a lot of songwriters that are very savvy on this stuff now because it's been several years of them doing yeah. this. But all of them are free pro bono. Michelle mm. Lewis and Kay Hanley, who founded Soda with me. Yes. They're songwriters full time. They right. spend so much time doing policy work, mm. fighting for songwriters like they should be getting like these the Nobel Peace Prize, if you want to ask my personal opinion, like, but we all do this for free. And listen, Ross Boland, who you know very well, yes. mm -hmm. you know, he hopped on the bandwagon like you did with AB5. He mm -hmm. hopped on the bandwagon with the Music Modernization Act, got Ryan Tedder involved, and it was yes. all free, 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 but it's not sustainable. Right. Because you've got to make a living. So I, I, it's nice to hear that these organizations are uh, popping up and that they are being, uh, hopefully, growing in membership and will be sustainable. It was great to see the Black Music Action Coalition come up. Uh, I believe it was following the George Floyd protest yeah. that that organization started. I know Binta Brown, who's a, is an old friend, uh, yeah. I know she's, she runs that, and uh, Jonathan Azu, who's a manager who we had on the program yeah. um, a few months back, he's part of it. Um, so, so that's, that's great. Uh, and I would encourage everybody listening to look in those organizations and, and join and because we do need more people fighting for they independence. Are in it. All right. Yes. Let me tell you this. Okay. So when Spotify or the MLC board liquidated all this, you know, mechanical royalty income or before the MLC board was, was formed, the publishers liquidated this historic mechanical income. So now Sona is going to all the publishers saying, hey, we've done a survey of all of our membership, but we don't see where this liquidation is. And mm. literally, Michelle Lewis sent letters to every single chairperson of the publishing companies. Nice. And some of the publishing and all of them respond to her immediately because yes. now, like I said, we have a name and it's been yes. several years. And so they responded to her and some of the publishers are like, here's where it's at. And Michelle's like, well, why did you classify it like this? No wonder songwriters can't. They didn't right. know this is what it was. So literally that's what we're doing right now with all this historic mechanical royalty income that was quote unquote distributed. Really, where is it? Yes. This happened also with the Pandora settlement. When the publisher settled Pandora, Again, we had to go to the publishers and say, where's this money? And mm -hmm. they really did. Right before the money was given out, we did get to them because it was when we didn't have a pandemic mm -hmm. and we could see them all at the Grammys. And we mm -hmm. all said, you know, when this money's being liquidated, you need to clearly state what this is. Yes. And they did do that, you know, but I'm telling you, it's it's the voice. And for all independent artists out there, they need to join these advocacy organizations. Yes. So speaking of the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Committee, which came out of the Music Modernization Act, it just went into effect in January of 2021 of this year, where now just to give people background, um, all the DSPs, they have to take all the mechanical royalties uh, and they, in, in the US at least, they have to pay the 
the MLC, and this is an organization that is funded actually by the DSP. So, so part of the money from Spotify, from Apple Music, from everybody else, it's funding it. So there's no commission taken off the top, unlike kind of the PROs or anything else out there. there it's commission-free. The money flows directly from the DSP, the mechanicals at least, goes straight to the MLC. And then the MLC is supposed to distribute that money amongst the whoever owns or, or is responsible for the those mechanical royalties more times than not it's publishers but oftentimes it's independent songwriters and uh if i if if i'm correct in this they have basically three years to claim that money and if it's not claimed in three years it gets distributed proportionately uh amongst the people who have claimed their money is that right I, you know, I, I have to look into the bill about that last part, okay. but let me tell you something important about the MLC that you need to understand, the music yes. licensing collective. So this was one of the reasons why the labels freaked out when I had to go tell Carrie Sherman what we were doing with the Music Modernization Act is because we eliminated the pass-through. That was an essential part of what we did when we, when we fixed the Copyright Act, meaning before the Music Modernization Act, labels had the right to collect your mechanical royalty income. Mm -hmm. They collected it and then they would pay the publishers or the songwriters. Mm -hmm. We got rid of that because what happened after Spotify and we sued and all this, the label mm -hmm. said, oh, we're not involved in this. You just right. involved directly. <laughs> and you, 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 yeah. So the publishers started collecting the money directly and the songwriters. And then, of course, when it came to actually take that part out of the law, they go, no, that's our right. I said, fuck you. It's yeah. not. Things left the station. It's <laughs> over. Your shit's over. You're not invited to the party. Right. But anyway, so let me tell you this. So now the monies go directly to the MLC board, like you said. Mm -hmm. There's no commissions. Unlike Harry Fox, it was taking 16% of mechanical royalty income mm -hmm. off the top and then paying people. Mm -hmm. No commission. But here's the best part of what I'm going to tell you. We negotiated, meaning Sona and the NSAI, who were mm -hmm. two stakeholders involved in, the, in orchestrating and helping to write the law, we negotiated that independent songwriters have a seat at the board. So there are four independent songwriters that are on the board of the MLC, which is the first time in America that songwriters actually have a seat at the table in the collection and the administration of mechanical royalty income in America. Yes, okay, so there's great. two members from the SONA and there's two members from NSAI. Yes. Okay, so that's a safe hold. So the other thing too, you know, because we're very involved in all that. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing too, which you need to know is that you can audit, you can audit um, the, to, to, for your mechanical royalty income and it won't cost you anything. That's the other thing that we drafted into the law. Oh, wow. So if you're not getting paid your money or you think you're getting ripped off, just go audit and it's mm -hmm. not going to cost you anything. Mm -hmm. There's a whole procedure for that. And all this, by the way, what's happening when laws are passed, then they have to be executed and they have to be executed. That's where the Copyright Office is very involved in the rulemaking to execute the law when it comes uh, to copyright, which is really a handicap for creators because the Copyright Office wasn't involved in making the law. <laughs> so we had the Copyright Office actually had an independent body that ran itself and reported to the president, okay, in mm -hmm, the administration. Mm -hmm. Uh, arm, they'd have a seat at the table. They'd be involved in helping to make the law. So when we have to implement the law, they're not in the dark when they have to mm. issue rulemaking to get the law implemented. Yeah. So with all the advocacy work uh, that you do, especially very publicly, um, 
like for instance, uh, after the insurrection, uh, January 7th, uh, you issued a, a letter uh, on behalf of Sona, but also uh, BMAC was on that, Mac was on that, uh, uh, condemning uh, the actions of the people that stormed the Capitol. But also it was issued, the letter was written to, to uh, at Vice President Mike Pence and saying that we condemn the actions of the president and anyone else who was involved in this. Um, now, when you do something that's so publicly, uh, now this shouldn't be partisan at all, uh, th this issue, uh, that's that's crazy, but but we've seen now so many representatives have started backtracking the Republicans that have, that have kind of been backtracking and the fact that so few are on board to impeach uh, at this point just shows where they, they stand. Um, now, how are you able to then bring these politicians, Republican politicians, uh, to the table for other issues like Doug Collins, who is a Republican uh, representative, and he was so instrumental in getting the Music Modernization Act through. And I know he was a very early supporter of the Songwriter Equity Act five, six years ago and all of that. Uh, break down the politics of all of this, because I don't know how this works. <laughs> well, let me you tell that. you something. <laughs> it is definitely... A, a learned trait, and I, I don't know how, but I got really good at it. Okay, because <laughs> you have to work both sides of the aisle, and it's yeah. and, and because the country now is so divided, it's going to be harder. But we still get there because let me tell you something: politics is the contact sport. So if you don't have a thick skin, stay out the kitchen. Okay, and I got to tell you, you know, we all have. I have Republican clients as well. So when I go to Washington, I bring the Republican clients to get into Republican offices. That's how it works. When Eddie Money was alive, rest in peace, mm -hmm. I dragged his ass to all these Republican <laughs> offices. Like we would go, he would be my guy. I'd say, we're going to Washington next week, pack your shit. And I'd book him, I was like a speaking engagement. I'd book him in like 10 Republican offices and I would mm -hmm. prep him as to what to say. And you know what? You have to learn how to spin it. So with the Music Modernization Act, look, I'd go to the Democrats with the Democrat clients and hmm. I'd say, or first I go to the Republicans and I'd say, oh my God, we're all regulated by the government. We can't negotiate the free market. Republicans <laughs> love the market, okay? We can't negotiate a free market and this is terrible. And they go, this is terrible. And they get on the bill. And then I go across the hall to the Democrats and I go, we're small businesses. We have no health insurance. We can't unionize. And they go, oh, this is terrible. And the next thing you know, they're both signing on to the same shit. Uh -huh. and you Smart. just have to know how to talk to them. Mm. You know? But listen, they also know, here's the other thing. God bless the Republicans, okay? Because they also, as much as they have their positions on things that are largely conservative and some really cross the line like that woman Marjorie Taylor Greene who needs to be like gone yep. okay but what happens is you know for me like example like working with Kevin McCarthy on the Music Modernization Act I'll never forget it I was in his office when Neil Gorsh was being confirmed to the Supreme Court wow. and he had it on his TV and he noted I was very upset Yep. And he's like, why can't you be happy for me? You know, because he was very instrumental in moving the nomination of Neil Gorsh to the president at the time. And I go, mm -hmm. you know, I'm happy for you as Kevin McCarthy, someone I work with who's my friend, but mm -hmm. I'm not happy because I'm a lesbian, you know, woman, you know, that has black children, 
you know, dyslexic, owning, you know, I'm not, so for those reasons, I'm not really that happy, you know what I mean? So, but for me, like for, I check the box. So like, for example, they'll say, oh, D, well, I, I know Dina LaPolle. It's like, oh, okay, so you, you must be okay because Dean is gay. You know what I mean? So you just got to know how to work it. And and by the way, it's hard because I'll tell you, you know, we have to work with people that when you're watching their positions on TV or you watch how they vote, your stomach turns. Like for me, I I get really upset the way they Mm -hmm. rule on immigration, like all of these things that they would side with Trump. I'd be sick into my stomach. And then I have to go work with these people. So it's going to be interesting because I have to go back on the hill this year when we're all vaccinated, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm mm-hmm. wondering, but it's, it is what it is, a contact sport. So grow a set, let me in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's actually a really great place to, uh, to, to pause. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, I have, uh, this has been so illuminating and I, and I so appreciate this conversation, Dean. And I know that we're going to be doing a lot more in the future together. And I, and I'm, uh, excited to become more active in, in the organizations, um, and do whatever I can to help, uh, kind of move the, uh, musicians, the songwriters issues forward and, and make this a little bit, uh, more fair and just and of the 21st century. Um, so I have one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Oh my God. What does that mean? <laughs> like, well, however you want to interpret it. Sorry, my God. I'm still like, you know, <laughs> afraid that everything's going to fall apart. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that musician that can never get used to the fact that they slept on somebody's couch. <laughs> They'll never, ever forget that even when they've won 20 Grammy awards, you know? Yes. And yes. I'm the same way. I tell people I'm your I'm your fastest 20 year overnight success you ever want to meet. You know, uh-huh. people say to me, well, why did you decide to open your own law firm? I go, excuse me? No one wanted me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? But how it works in the new music industry, like I just follow my heart. You know, here's mm-hmm. the way it works. You got to do what's right. You know, it's like ethics is like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You know, so you're either on the right side or you're not on the right side. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the people that make the music, like music saved my life. Like one of the things that everybody knows about me is that I'm a recovering alcoholic. Okay. I will be 23 years sober on April 19th of this year. Congratulations. And if it wasn't for music, I would have hung myself way, way before I got sober. Okay. Mm -hmm. Way long. And by Mm -hmm. getting sober, it saved my life. But music is the only thing in my life that has never let me down. It's been there when I was fighting on behalf of the estate of Tupac Shakur, just me and his mother, Afeni, who was also sober. It's mm-hmm. been there when I opened my own law firm. It's been there when I went to law school and people said, you can't go to law school. You have a degree in guitar. How can you go to law school? <laughs> you know, it's been there for me throughout my entire life. It's never let me down, you know? And for yeah. me, I always just do the right thing. And if you just get still, and you ask yourself, what's the right thing? You end up doing the right thing and following your heart. And the next thing you know, wow, I'm making it in the new music business. I just fight for people and especially mm. the underdog. People yes. that have been ripped off, stolen from, in horrible contracts. This is my thing. Like okay. I, I'm, I, I was an abolitionist in another life. You know what I mean? And I've been <laughs> sure. an activist. If you ask my kids, I have eight-year-old twin boys. 
what does mama do for a living? They say two things. She's a lawyer and she's a civil rights activist. Cool. They say that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I didn't teach them that. That's just what they've learned from being in, from being my kids. Yeah. Yeah. So. I love it. Dean Lopold, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. Brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com